pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that these words are acceptable in your sight. That through this sermon, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we hear Christ Jesus. Love him evermore and follow him evermore. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever dealt with children, raising children, this phrase has probably passed through your lips, if not through your mind. If I've told you once, I've told you a... Okay, there's a difference here. Some said a hundred, some said a thousand. I think my mom was always a thousand times. Right? I mean, you can look directly in the child's face, right there, right there, and you tell them in very clear words, don't hit your brother, don't hit your sister, don't shave the dog bare. And they look at you, and they nod, uh-huh. And you know that saying, in one ear, out the other, you know that's happening, right? So then you turn away, you walk away, and you just, you know it's just happening. You turn around, and they've done it again. And out of love, you do it all over again, right? Because that's what we do with children. We train them. We repeat things over and over. And as they get older, we not only repeat them, but we give them a deeper meaning, a sense of not only what, but the why behind it all. Now, in Christ Jesus, we're all children of God. And as children of God, God repeats himself over and over again because it takes a while for us to learn certain lessons. I mean, when you read the Bible, right, you see that there are repeated themes, repeated messages throughout. This is because God loves us. He wants us to walk in the light of his son, Christ Jesus. So, in our study in 1 John, John has been given the privilege, the honor to shepherd some of God's children. And so he has been repeating himself with certain themes again and again and deepening the themes. Some of the themes that, are, that he's been focusing on are to know Jesus is to know the love of God for us. To love Jesus is to walk as Jesus walked and follow his commandments. To love Jesus is to love one another. So he's been using these themes and deepening them again and again. Now, chapter 5, the very end of his letter, he's using the last few words to really encourage the believers in their faith so that they may continue to walk in the light of Christ Jesus, not in darkness. So this morning, our walk is this. To walk in the light of Christ Jesus is to know that you have overcome the world through Christ Jesus, who is your testimony. Of this, you can be certain. By the way, sermon notes are going to be very helpful today, especially because there's uh, an extended testimony that I included in the sermon notes. Uh, And if you look at my sermon notes, by the way, a lot of times the points, if you string them all together, make a sentence. 
So this one is, you have overcome the world through Christ Jesus, who is your testimony. Of this you can be certain. So let's learn today from God's Word. You have overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is kind of one large thought that he has. So here's the question for you. Not quite yet. If I show this, the Bible, to an atheist, a non-believer, and I say, well, what is this? They're going to say something like, um, it's a book of fairy tales about, God, about man's reaching up and creating a God to pacify himself. That's what an atheist might say. Now, if I show this and show this to a kind of a, a church, Sunday churchgoer only, I think one of the terms I, I heard this past year was the CEO. Uh, that's Christmas, Easter only. So if I say, what's this? They, they might say, well, it's the Bible or the good book, and it's a bunch of rules about how to be a good person. You know, then it's kind of, you can even see it on their face, like, yeah, I haven't read that. And, you know, they go like that. But if I show this to somebody who has been born again, who is alive in the Spirit, who loves Christ Jesus, what would they say? And you don't have to answer, but I'm, ask, I'm asking you just mentally, what would you say this is? Because it's a very different perspective for those who have been born again. For those who are in Christ Jesus, what is the Bible? It's a story, and it's a love story. It's God's steadfast love that goes throughout eternity. And that this love of God is for everyone who has been born again. So what's the Bible? It's a love story written by God for you. And the promise that is in Scripture, the promise in Christ Jesus is for everyone. It's for everyone. See, it doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, how smart or not smart your IQ level. None of that matters. It is a story of love of God's grace, and it's all grace alone. And we thank God that it's all grace alone, because if it depended on us, we wouldn't be born again. So this is what John is writing about here. And when you ha are in Christ Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, but this past year, I mean, people are more alive. Have you noticed that at Joy here? I'm not talking to all the world, but I mean, there's a greater aliveness in the Spirit. There's a greater openness, a greater joy, if you will, in the Lord. And that comes from knowing Jesus, from the power of the Holy Spirit, that all of a sudden, you know who Jesus is, and you love him ever more, and your, your heart grows. 
Now, I've used this example before, but, you know, the Grinch, the Grinch who stole Christmas, how was the Grinch before he knew? Well, his heart was very tiny, right? Rock hard, and he was selfish and mean-hearted, mean-spirited. He didn't like anybody. But then, that day, he finally knew Christmas. And this is what Dr. Zeus wrote. Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. There was a dramatic change, right, in the Grinch. And by the way, he didn't really truly understand Christmas. That's the secular version. But his heart grew, right? When you are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation, and your heart grows. It's, it's amazing when, when you see people who are certainly new in the faith or maturing in their faith, or there's some, some insight that they've had. They have this love of Jesus that they don't know exactly where it came from, but it's there. And then these words that Jesus told others, follow me, sounds like it's been spoken directly to you. And you hear the words of Christ, follow me. And you do want to follow him, don't you? And your love for others grows, your love for Christ grows, and your desire for things of the world diminishes. That thing that you wanted, maybe, say, the, the drink that you wanted, that you had to have every night, all of a sudden that starts to diminish or even fade away. And the addictions that you might have also just really start to fade away. And you're doing this not because it's a burden, but because of the love of Christ for you. And because of the love of Christ for you, you want to follow him and do as he says. So these things of the world, I mean, you've heard testimonies. You've heard testimonies of young, old, of addicts, of thieves, of prostitutes, probably even pimps who have been born again, and all of a sudden, they leave that behind. The power that enslaved them in this world no longer has its claws on them. They are given a new heart, and now they have victory in Jesus. As it says here, for everyone who has been born again overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Through faith in Christ Jesus, we are overcomers. But let's examine this carefully because people have twisted this a bit. First of all, the promise of victory is for everyone who's been born again. Now, I've talked about that last week and this week. I would encourage you to, again, read Gospel of John, chapter 3, Nicodemus. Being born again is not of your will. It's the will of God. And it is so important. Every Christian who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior has been born again. You can't actually confess him without being born again. It is so important. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. So, the promise of victory is for all of those who are in Christ. And the victory you have over the world is from faith 
in the one who has overcome the world. And this is where certainly people in this movement called Word of Faith have really warped this message. They would say it's your faith that has overcome the world. And thus, you must have a strong faith and you must have a faith in your faith and it is the strength of your faith in your faith that overcomes the world. But Paul never wrote, he never said, I can do all things through my faith that strengthens me, did he? He said, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. See, my faith by itself does nothing but my faith in the one who has overcome the world. It is him and in him alone that I have victory in this world. It is him and him alone that you have victory in this world. From our gospel reading today, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And from our reading from last week in John chapter 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So you are overcomers in Christ Jesus. And I don't really, and I, I don't mean this like in a self-improvement way, because you could see all these testimonies of people, the pimps, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, the thieves, and you could say, ah, they have a better life now. But that's not the full meaning of what we mean when we talk about overcomers. It is actually, in Christ Jesus, sin and the devil and all the demonic powers have been overcome. See, this is something that we don't really talk about too much in church, certainly in Lutheran churches, where Christ defeating the devil himself. Now, it's probably no coincidence that in preparation during this sermon, I, uh, I got an email from my pastor, Pastor Tom Parrish, and you've got the full text of the testimony in your sermon notes, and it fit in exactly today. So I'm going to read just a section of it for you. It's about a woman who not only had a very dark, demonic dream, but when she woke up, there was a dark, demonic presence in her room. Different than just darkness, a demonic presence. This is what she wrote. I began to remember your class on the demonic and the power of Jesus shed blood. So in my head, I began saying and repeating, in the name of Jesus and his shed blood, I command you to leave. But no matter how many times I repeated it in my head, I was still fearful, and this demonic presence was still there. Before I go on, I would like to mention that I no longer just have faith, but know for a fact that God is real. I know this because after continuously repeating the statement in my head over and over again with no luck and no change, the, this booming inner voice that was not my own commanded me to say it out loud. I will not lie. I hesitated in those few seconds after the command. I was again in denial like I had been in my dream before. The thoughts that crossed my mind in those short moments were as follows. 
Was that my thought? Was that God? No way that was God. I think I'm going insane. And then again louder and somehow more commanding, the voice spoke again, say it out loud. So I did. At first it was just a whisper, soft and fearful. But as I began to repeat it over and over again, I became louder. And each time becoming less afraid and more filled with the courage to the point where I could open my eyes and sit up. As I did, I watched the darkness, similarly to my dream, lifted from my room and finally vanished. Softly, in came the rays of moonlight. My room somehow felt lighter in a way. After this, I turned on the lamp next to my bed and stayed up most of the night in prayer, thanking God and reading scripture. This is a testimony about the power of Christ Jesus and his shed blood. You have victory in Jesus. Jesus has overcome the, war, the devil and all that is in the world. See, that's the depth and breadth that John is writing. That's the depth and breadth that you and I have. We have victory in Jesus. So we have overcome the world through Christ Jesus. Verse 5 from our reading from 1 John. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus is the one and only one who has overcome the world. There is no other, there is no exception. And people want proof of that. John writes about this. There are three proofs, the water, blood, and spirit. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Now, there are some differences in commentaries regarding this, but I think it very, very, very clearly states that it's the water and the blood which is the beginning and end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. The water signifies his baptism from Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the water. The blood is what he shed on the cross. And it is the new covenant that he made through his blood. And what is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the very Word of God. From Gospel of John, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, John gives three proofs, water, blood, and the Holy Spirit. Why three? Because in the Bible, it is the three that give the legal testimony 
that bear witness. It is the water and the blood and the Holy Spirit that bear witness to the atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And the three cannot be separated. Because ultimately, what do the three things testify to? Though there are three to the testimony, there is truly only one testimony, and that is Christ Jesus. What's the testimony that I have? It's not about how wonderful my life is or how bad my life is. It is the testimony of Christ Jesus who suffered, died for me, and in him and him alone, there's forgiveness of sins. That's my testimony. So it is the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Jesus Christ is our testimony. There's really no other testimony. Jesus is our testimony. I'm going to read this um, verse 9 through 12. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of man is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How many times can I say testimony, right? Did you hear it? It's repeated a lot, isn't it? Eight times at least testify or testimony is used in John's letter. And the, most of them go right in those particular verses. To testify, or another way to translate that is to bear witness. To testify or to bear witness has that legal sense. You know, when you go into courtroom, when the witness is sworn in, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God, right? That's, that's kind of it. But what's missing? What do they normally place their hand on? The Bible. Now, they don't have to. Still used, but they don't have to place their hand on the Bible. Why do they place their hand on the Bible? I, I am asking this as a real question now, not just rhetorical. Why do they place their hand on the Bible? No, not pledge allegiance. What? With God? It's the truth. This is God's unerring, enduring, eternal truth. They are placing their hand on the truth and swearing to tell the truth. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the truth. It is the testimony from God, written by men, but it is from God, about God. Now, I wrote a number of verses down there. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth, and all your righteous judgments endure. John chapter 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And from 
2 Timothy, all scripture, scripture is breathed out by God. So not just inspired as we would in, be inspired by a sunset, but breathed out by God. So what is the testimony, right? This is the testimony of God, from God, for us. And what does this testimony state? This testimony from our reading from 1 John. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Ultimately, every testimony should point back towards Jesus because the true power rests in him. In our day and age in which feelings are, are, are the most important thing, when people give their testimony, they often even don't mention Jesus. It's just about how their life is so much better and it just kind of goes on. It's almost like a motivational speech. And some sermons, by the way, are almost all like motivational speeches as well. I, I heard a, yeah, editing in my mind, I heard a sermon recently uh, that I went, yeah, you kind of threw God in there just because I think you had to, but that was about it. And no matter how good a sermon is, It's not for the praise of the preacher, because then we start to idolize the pastors or preachers. Actually, all glory should point to Christ Jesus. See, the best thing out of any sermon that you ever hear is that you go, I heard Jesus. I know him more. And I heard those words, follow me. That's the true testimony. That's why we gather here Each and every Sunday, the power rests in him, and of this you can be certain. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have eternal life. All testimony in the Bible is given to you so that you may believe in Jesus, that you may know for certain that you have eternal life with him. Now, when we talk about knowledge, we're not talking about knowledge in the abstract. There's a difference about knowing about something and really knowing something. Talk to a first-year medical student versus a doctor who has been in practice for 30 years. Now, that first-year medical student might know how to diagnose a disease versus think about the experience of the doctor who's been in practice for 30 years who has seen hundreds, maybe thousands of those cases. He doesn't just know. He knows for certain. There's a certainty that goes with that. The testimony that woman wrote that I read, she says, I don't just have faith. That's the knowing about, I now know for certain, God lives. Just as Job could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is the certainty that John is writing about. 
See, when you have the assurance, the reality of Jesus and who he is, that we have confidence to bring him any to bring anything to him. See, when you really know your Redeemer lives, not just about, but you know, and you know he's your advocate. And he did all of this because of the great love that he has for you. You can bring anything to him. Verse 14 and 15 And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You have an advocate in Christ Jesus. There is power in the shed blood, and you can come before him boldly, praying, asking in his name. See, there's a difference. We're going to sing a song called Blessed Assurance at the very end. There's a difference from Sunday-only churchgoers to those who are in Christ Jesus. Song has a whole different meaning. For one, it's kind of just a tune. For others, the words are glorious. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. I'm born of a spirit and washed in his blood. This is the confidence that you can have that you are overcomers through Christ Jesus, who is your testimony. And of that, you may be certain. So this week, if you haven't, I got more copies out, by the way, of the Gospel of John 21-Day Challenge. Read the testimony of the Gospel of John. Go back through, read the woman's testimony that's on the sermon notes. And then finally, in prayer, bring everything to Jesus. Having the confidence that when you pray according to his will, he hears. And to that we all say, amen. Amen, amen. 